Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Deep Dive uh, for part two of our like end of season kind of wrap up stuff here. RJ, you got to be there for the press conference with uh, Coach Dave Haxtall and General Manager Ron Francis. Got lots of stuff to go over. We're going to be talking Vince Dunn contract situation. We'll be talking Berkey and the injury news there. Uh, going to talk probably lots of other things as well. Uh, lots of good stuff coming out of that. Um, but if, first, like the number one thing we got to point out, RJ, for everybody watching this on YouTube is uh, there's Afra. Just oh yes, in the corner there, sleeping. She uh she lined up perfectly in just the one little square foot of bed so that she could be visible for this. Uh, so I guess I got to reward that effort on her part <laughs> by pointing it out. <laughs> All right, RJ. I mean, where do we start? Like, I, you do you want to take us through it, kind of in in order of what happened? Um, should I take my victory lap on Andre Burakovsky getting hurt because the all-star break is a terrible thing that shouldn't exist? Uh, should I, should, should I get to my insane idea for how to handle Vince Dunn? What do you want? Well, well, I, I think we'll have time for your victory lap and we probably shouldn't start with your insane idea as far as what to do with Vince Dunn, uh, right off the bat. I, I think we want to save that for a little bit later. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I can start with just kind of how the day went general takeaways. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, I don't think we'll do it like with the players or we just kind of go point by point. Cause it was, the questions were kind of all over the place. Yeah. You know, you go from one area to another. And so I think we'll kind of just talk about elements of the team and their future, what the lineup might look like next year, what, uh, what Francis and Haxtell kind of thought of this season, what their takeaways were mm -hmm. and just kind of go category by category. But I'll start with, I guess, overall kind of what the day was like. Um, so for this one, it was just Haxtell and Francis, uh, doing a, a media availability at, uh, at 1230. And so everyone just kind of piles in with their questions and um, they touched on a lot of different topics. I think overall the, the tone was, you know, was quite positive over how this season went um, and, and they were pleased as they should be. I mean, you know, given where we were last season, I remember watching the um, this same thing, but last year with Hackstall and Francis and the difference, uh, you know, and kind of how everyone yeah. talked about things. And I will say last year they were they were fairly confident that they had what it took to turn things around. Yep. And even though it maybe rang a little bit hollow to us at the time, given how the team, you know, how the season went, uh, I think they were kind of backed up on just about everything that they said at that time. Um, and so, you know, I, I think they were proud of what had happened this season. And, mm -hmm. and, and Francis was, um, you know, spoke very highly of Hackstall said that he thought he got a lot of, you know, unwarranted criticism last season with how things went. Hackstall, you know, gave praise to Ron Francis for acquiring those pieces that he needed, you know, to, to build this team and to have it, have it be as good as it was. Um, I, I guess that that's kind of, you know, where they were at with last season. Then they said that they felt look, the team got to the second round and we've talked about, the both sides of it, right? Where you got to be proud for that performance and happy with exceeding expectations, but you're so close to getting further, getting to that conference final. And, and there has to be some disappointment there as well. Yeah. And Ron Francis did mention that there, there's both sides of it. And, um, you know, that's kind of what they wanted to convey to their players that, you know, that you should be proud of what you've accomplished, but also have some disappointment in your mind going into next season that you didn't get further. And he said, we wanted to kind of, uh, give that message to the players, but we didn't need to because the players were already telling us that. Like yeah. that was already what they were saying. So I think everyone's kind of on the same page there. 
Yeah, and, uh, you know, kind of echoing just what I talked about yesterday, being there for that game seven. I mean, it, it felt almost like the, the front office and every and like the coaching staff was more okay with things than, than the players were. Like, I think the players are always, granted, they also had just played game seven, so they're tired anyway. But I think there's always that element of like, oh, you know, you're really bummed out after you lose a game, any game, but especially a big time game like that. Whereas, yes, just the sense of the organization was like, this was such a success as a season and it was so it went so far as to proving you know all the stuff that they believed internally that they weren't able to show year one it, it was all the stuff that you know about uh, proving to uh the the league as a whole all of the you know that seattle deserves a team because the fan base is awesome they really focused on all of that kind of stuff proving that the expansion draft wasn't a mistake or a failure the way everybody assumed it was like there was so much of that that was all stacked up after that first season that I really do feel like yeah everybody in the front office coaching staff within the organization of those upper levels this year it, it was just about proving that you know what no we knew what we were talking about and we were right for believing in this and for trusting this process and how important that all was to them because it was you know it's it's vindication who doesn't like that right so I want to take my victory lap about the Burakovsky injury. Um, but it's it. So it's it's definitely one of those important things. But the bottom line is we've we've all been saying it around these parts, RJ. In Braun, we trust. We trust this process. It's all oh, yeah. good. We, we know. Yeah, we do. And I, I think Ron, you know, kind of gets that sense that, you know, he's trusted by the whole organization has been. And um, I mean, you know, he's, he's backed that up with results now. And I think that's really important. Now, as for next season and the expectations there, because we, we talked about this yesterday, that uh, the house money's gone next year yep. and there are going to be real expectations. And I, I do think that that Francis did try to kind of temper those expectations a little bit as you know, as it makes sense to do. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but he was asked and I remember last year I, I asked him what in your mind would be a successful season for you next year. And he said, make the playoffs. Yep. And he said, that's kind of your goal every year. You always want to make the playoffs. And, and when you make the playoffs, you never know what's going to happen. And um, so this year he was asked, uh, you know, well, with going to the second round, what's your realistic goal for next season? You know, do you want to <laughs> saying conference finals is kind of, it would be a step forward, but that's, that's a lofty that's a goal. You know, ask. what is, yeah. Right. So what is your goal? And he said, make the playoffs. And he said, that's kind of what we look to do every year is just make the playoffs. And once you're in that top eight in the conference, anything can happen. And, and he said, I don't think a lot of people saw Florida being in right mm -hmm. now in the conference final. I don't think a lot of people saw us getting to game seven against Dallas. Um, but things like that happen. And I, I think I'm OK with that kind of sentiment, too, where I know that's technically a, a step back would would meet those expectations. But certainly with how things are in the NHL, where seating doesn't matter you get nothing for positive seating, essentially. Uh, you know, I, basically, if you're in the top eight, you're kind of in the same class as every other team. It's just where you go from there. Yeah, I, I mean, well, we might like it because if they could get in the Pacific Division bracket, travel is a little easier on everybody on the media <laughs> side of things. I should have followed so up with that on, on Peron. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's why seating matters. Um, but yeah, it's true. And it's just one of those things where you know we've talked about it right like again winning the president's trophy it means nothing who who cares it means you're guaranteed to not win the stanley cup is really all that means because that's just the way this has gone uh we've seen wild card teams win the stanley cup we're seeing a wild card team in florida have a ton of success we saw the kraken had a lot of success the stanley cup playoffs it's 
it's just random. It's like spinning a roulette wheel with all those teams on it, and somebody ends up walking out of there with the Stanley Cup. Uh, so I, I think just making the playoffs consistently, being a team that's going to be healthy going into the playoffs, being a, a team that is really together as a group where everybody believes in each other and is on the same page is going to always be important, and that should be part of that goal. Um, and I think having the coaching staff on board, like everybody feels like they know what their job is and everybody's comfortable and confident with that. And you feel like you have depth should anything happen. The guys that are, you know, your normal scratches, you feel like can come in and play for you. I feel like those are really the only things that you can hope for and plan for and try to build for and have those be like your expectations. Um, so I get why he says like, just, you know, make the playoffs. Like, yeah, that's the, you know the the expectation or whatever and and what you want to have happen but i think all that other stuff is probably there too uh they just keep it internal mm -hmm. but i think that that's that's really you know what you mean is that yes we want to make the playoffs that's obviously the expectation but also it's that everybody's going to be together we're going to have a strong group everybody believes in each other everybody's on the same page we have depth and everybody wants to go and do this thing like that's the expectation you want every year it's the process right and so a lot of times that's more important than the result, but I think he went with the result that, you know, we can hold him to certainly yeah, I think if yes. they miss the playoffs. Yeah. It's disappointing. Yeah. It, no matter which way you slice it. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the bar for next season. Although we did add, I think he said something to the effect of, look, I, I can't guarantee we're going to make the playoffs next season. It's, it's too good a league stuff happens. Um, so even trying to hedge it a little bit there, I don't know about that uh, statement, but I, I think, you know, playoffs that's that's solid i was gonna say and let's be honest right make not making the playoffs means you're in the bottom half of this league because half the league makes the playoffs I... yeah given that that's the case i think that has to absolutely be you know be the yeah. standard at least unless you um, yeah unless you got like nine guys out with injury or something I... yeah. right so so that's kind of expectations uh for next season and kind of where they're at um i mean as as far as what's next I mean, there were kind of comments about just different like position groups, different players. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do we do you want to go kind of that way by the like go net out or something? I mean, what do you think might be best here? Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, look, I, I, we all know what's coming. Some of the discussions that are coming. Shane Wright is yeah. going to be one. Um, the All the guys with contracts expiring. I mean, just go with, you know, if something tickled your fancy, go go for it. Right, I'm going to go by position groups because I think there's a lot of tangents that, we, that we're going to go off of with different okay. players and whatnot. But I'm going to start net out the goaltending situation. This is something that we had questions about. Mm -hmm. um, Martin Jones is a free agent at the end of the year. He is almost certainly gone. Um, and so that leaves Philip Grubauer back as, as the starter next year. And uh, Francis did, you know, express confidence in Grubauer. And um, he was asked kind of what the end of this season and that playoff run like really does for him and how important that was. And he said, it's not just then it's, it's earlier in the year too. Like he's, I, he said, I went to the morning skate in the Colorado game and this back toward the start of the year. He's like, I don't go to many morning skates, but I went to that one. And I remember thinking, man, he just looks so good right now. He looks very yeah. good. And he said for, you know, for 50 minutes of that game, he was outstanding. And then he hurt himself and then he was out for a while. And, you know, then Jones picked up the ball and ran with it and, and did very well. Uh, but then Gruby got it back. But he, he basically want to say, look, it was all season that he was good as, as so we kind of know where where we're at with Grubauer. But as, as far as the other two goalies, he didn't really comment on that that much um you know he said look we, we've got drieger who's under contract we got joey who's a, a group six you know we'll have to make some decisions there 
didn't really commit one way or the other. Yeah, and I why would he right now? Like, there's still so mm-hmm. many things, right? Chris Drieger needs a full offseason of being healthy and, and to, to finish all the rehab from that. Um, they're going to take a look at Joey Decor and try to figure out what their situation is. It wouldn't surprise me if they're going to listen if there's any offers on him. Like, this, yeah, all that stuff, that's like training camp questions. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be a battle. Yeah. Who's going to be there then? Like, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't expect in a million years to ever kind of get an answer on, on that kind of situation or some of the other ones where it's like a roster battle situation. Like a Ty Cartier one, we're not going to know until training camp. That's a training camp question. Although I do think of. I got a little bit of insight there. We did. I know. We'll, we'll I, get to that I, later. I, I did see that. But but I, I think especially with like this backup goaltending thing, there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to happen over the course of the offseason that is going to, you know, dictate kind of what they do. But the bottom line is it'll all come down to training camp, who's playing better, who they feel like is going to be the better option for them to go with. You know, and like I said, if they have trading partners for either of those guys, that can change how, what, how they view the situation. But end of the year right now yeah i would have been shocked if they had committed to somebody yeah the only question is just do you go out and maybe add someone via free agency if you don't feel comfortable with the court and drieger back there but francis didn't really tip his hand at all one way or the other that way either and i think he, he's probably looking at those two to, to do that internally I, I don't know how you bring in another guy with drieger healthy no i i don't i don't see how you do either um and also i mean that would also be like a weird thing i'm trying to remember last year I mean, last year they did talk a little bit about free agency and what they wanted to do, right? He said he wanted like another puck-moving defenseman and all that kind of stuff. They ended up going out and getting a Justin Schultz. So, um, yeah, I guess it's it's not unreasonable to expect them to talk about free agency plans. But, yeah, goaltending plans would very much surprise me. Yeah, and I guess we can kind of talk about free agency plans in general, too, because there this one was very different than last year. Last year, I think yeah. Francis kind of had a clear set of needs like, yes. look, we need to go out and get goal scoring. We need goal scoring. We need you know a top six forward, probably another top nine forward. We need another defenseman who can move the yep. puck. He was very clear, very open about that, and that's exactly what they did. They got Burakovsky. They got Justin Schultz. Uh, you know, they brought in some depth forwards Bjork who could Strand. help out there as well. Yeah. And Bjorkstrand, exactly. So that's that's what that was exactly. This year, he wasn't nearly as specific. And I think the reason for that is because, look, you've got the top nine, you have your whole top nine intact. You've got yeah. 10 forwards, really, that are coming back under contract. And so, you know, there's not a whole lot of room to to add something specifically there. Mm-hmm. You know, defenseman, you know, you've got Vince Dunn as kind of that big, you know, RFA question mark, but there's not a whole lot of spots there. And so I, he was asked too, you know, how do you kind of improve your team given that's the situation? And his blanket answer on, on a lot of these things was like, well, you know, you look, you see what opportunities there are. If there's something that you, you can do to make your team better, we'll obviously do it and you got to go ahead and do that. So, but he didn't say exactly what he felt that the team needed to kind of take that next right. step right yeah and like i said i would i would have been surprised because yes this year they they have the opposite problem they've got too many guys like we're yep. gonna we'll get into this in a little bit but like there's just too many there's too many guys for the spots that they have that's the that's the I mean, bottom there, line. there really is yeah and so you know i guess we'll um i guess we'll, we'll talk about the, the defense next but that's like one area where you know, there's there's kind of yeah. one spot. He didn't he didn't comment on Susie at all, you know, mm-hmm. about the signing or as you'd expect. Right. I'll, I'll, actually, I'll, say, I'll say this right now. He didn't really give anything on the, the UFAs or the RFAs beyond just like, well, you know, we'll talk to them. We'll look and see yeah. what situations Vince Dunn is the exception with that. And we'll get to that when we talk about the D. But um, yeah, most of those guys, any one of the depth guys, 
you know, didn't didn't tip his hand one way or the other. So we can talk about what we think he should do when we when we get there. Um, but as far as as that, he didn't give any indication of what he's going to do and, and why should he? What he didn't he didn't say what kind of contracts he's going to be offering everybody. Well, maybe he gave what, a hint well, of what this, kind of contract. I was going to say he's. Yeah, he he gave a hint of what kind of contract he's looking to get to for Vince Dunn, and I'll I'll go right into that as we start with the defenseman because that's where it's all going to start this offseason. Yep. Vince Dunn, pending restricted free agents, so the Kraken do have his rights; they can match any offer. They'll probably get a deal done with him. Francis said that uh, he's hopeful that he can get a long-term deal done with Vince Dunn, and I love I love his quote on that from today he said if you can get to a deal yeah where where the player isn't happy and the team isn't happy that's probably a fair deal so we'll see if we could get to that point with him um and i just i love that quote from ron francis and i I think it does kind of ring true it's like in a trade where if if neither team's fans are happy you know it's probably a fair deal yeah or it's one where you go why did they even bother uh (laughs) nobody's happy with it but yes um no it's and it's true right because it it means both sides gave they met in the middle you know classic negotiation right like that's that's what that means but uh, yeah exactly yeah but the real question is is you know look what is that going to look like right and so We've talked about it a little bit, um, but just to go back over it, right? Vince Dunn should be going in there based on the other contracts that we've seen. Uh, long-term deals for young defensemen, buying up UFA years, because that's what this deal is going to do. I mean, you're talking Zach Ruwenski, 9583333 cap hit. That's a weird contract. Charlie McAvoy, <laughs> 9-5, right? Adam Fox, 9-5. Seth Jones, 9-5. Darnell Nurse, 9-2-5. Kale McCarr, 9. Haskinen, 8-4-5. Thomas Shabbat, 8, right? If you want to go down there. Quinn Hughes, 7-8-5. Like, there's a wide range here. I mean, Aaron Ekblad, 7.5, and, and he signed that contract five years ago. Okay, so mm-hmm. like there is a lot going on here. And then just for reference, uh, Rasmus Dahlin signed and will still be an RFA at the end of his, so it doesn't buy up any UFA years, six million. So those kind of thinking that, you know, maybe this, oh, we could get him six, six, five. I know it was floated around a ton yesterday on Twitter, this idea that it would be six, five for Vince Dunn. If so, Vince Dunn needs to probably get a new agent because 6-5 is like what you would give a Rasmus Dahlin just to get him still through RFA years. Like, I don't know. I, I think just based on the market, we're looking at a minimum of 7-5. I would agree with that. I think at the very minimum, that's kind of what you're hoping for if you're the Kraken and, and Dunn has reason to ask for a lot more. And yeah, if it's 6.5, fire your agent. Like you shouldn't, yes. you shouldn't be walking away with that. Um, so I think that number is going to be higher and, and France is going to have a real decision to make as far as, you know, do, do you pay someone like basically your kind of your franchise D money for, mm-hmm. for what Vince Dunn is. And, and I think we can, you know, maybe at the end, once I kind of go over the players, what Francis said, we can talk about what we would do and, and you okay. can kind of get into your big Vince Dunn idea. And, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll kind of give each of our blueprints for this offseason, kind of what we would do. Um, if you're all right with that, that kind of format there. Yeah. Or do you want to get, or do you want to do it now? No, I mean, it, that's fine. Like, you know, you're the one who is there. You have the information okay. that we're going to be covering. I'm fine with this. All right. So, um, Next on the D front, Will Borgen. Uh, Francis was asked kind of what he's seen in his progression. He said, you know, he's taken a lot of positive steps forward. Naturally physical 
kind of guy you did mention, <laughs> naturally physical, as we could all see. Um, not a whole lot more information on the contract stuff, you know, and where and where the D shakes out. Um, so not much more on the defense core, really, mm -hmm. uh, from, from what the guys gave today. Um, as far as um, the, the forwards, I mean, we can kind of start getting into that. And we'll start with Matty Beneers, you know, where, where it all should start. I mean, when Francis is, Ron Francis is talking about him, like, and Haxtell too, I mean, they're, they're both just so proud of the progression that he's made. And Francis did acknowledge that, look, it, it's, it's a grind. It's, it's very difficult. And, you know, he kind of felt that. I mean, look, we all, yeah. we all saw it. We all heard it from him. Um, but Francis really emphasized how important getting those two playoff rounds and those two game sevens were for Matty Beneers, just so he has that experience. So he knows what to expect okay. uh, getting to that spot. And, and that's something that's really going to stick with him. Wow. I was really, I'm glad that I was able to lay that groundwork there for Ron Francis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was going to say, that sounds very familiar, uh, but it's true, right? Like that's, that was the whole point of the season really for Matty Beneers. Cause we weren't sure. We had no idea they were going to be a hundred point team. They were going to, go to the second round of the playoffs and everything. We were just like, get Matty Beneers out there for a full 82. Let the game slow down a little bit for him so that moving on to next season, when we felt like they were going to really start entering that competitive window, he was going to have that experience under his belt. He was going to be comfortable at the NHL level, probably be able to be a little bit more physically equipped to, to handle it all. We talked about that yesterday with him. Um, so yeah, I mean, like that's, that's, it's all pretty standard stuff, but it's, you know, it's better than them, I guess, saying something different, uh, than what, you know, we should expect or want them to say. Right. I mean, it's, you know, there's, uh, there's only so much you can continue to say. And actually it was kind of funny when the question was asked about, you know, what have you seen from Maddie's progression this year and all that kind of, that question was asked, uh, Ron looks at Dave and Dave's just like, uh, yeah. And, and then Kate kind of stepped in. She's like, no, I, we've asked you about this a million times, like every day this year, yeah. Ron can answer it this time. Yeah. I mean, cause it's, it's true. It's, it is, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I mean, that's, that is the, that's, that's kind of what we would have expected them to say. And uh, yeah, it's a conversation we've all had all year long. And the bottom line is Maddie proved it on the ice. He's here. He's yep. legit. Like he's going to go and probably win the Calder as he should. Like it was, it was a successful season all the way around. Like there's just not much more to it than that. Right. So given that that's the case, we'll move on to another forward mentioned, uh, Andre Burakovsky, who missed this, the end of this season, basically since that first game past the trade deadline. Dylan, you ready? It's victory lap time. No. So Ron Francis said that uh, Burakovsky tore his groin Yikes. 19 seconds in to his first game back after the All-Star break. And you could kind of tell in the tone of his voice, I get he didn't say anything that would imply causality there with the, the long break off. But again, if you, if you just hear his voice and talking about it, kind of the frustration of what happened, mm -hmm. I think, you know, he, he probably knows that maybe that had something to do with it. Right. And so back in, I think it was the beginning of March when we were going over this, I had brought up the idea of, you know, because they hadn't told us what it was. We knew it was lower body. That's all we knew. Right. And back at the beginning of March, I brought up the idea that I thought it was, you know, it was possible that maybe he had torn an ACL or something like that just because soft tissue injuries, whenever an athlete who is, you know, stronger than the normal person, their bodies are more used to being finely tuned and and their bodies are, look, they're just more sensitive than ours because of what they are. They are, they are used to being worked at the highest level possible with strong muscles attached to everything and all that stuff. 
And whenever you have athletes go from, you know, playing at 100% to not really doing anything to then having to ramp back up to 100%, you're at risk of soft tissue injuries. There's a reason why in the NFL, ACL tears, vast majority of them happen early on in a season versus later in the season. And usually then the later in the season ones are when guys like hyperextend something, something like that. But as far as just you push your body a little bit too hard, it's just because the body's not used to having to do all that stuff. Things get a little bit tighter if you're not working it out every day. And I don't just mean stretching. I mean like actually working it out, skating hard, doing all of that stuff. The body then, if you have to ramp it back up to 100%, it's not ready to go. And these professional athletes are asking so much of their bodies that we see injuries like this. So I had brought up the idea that I thought maybe he had torn an ACL or it was some sort of soft tissue injury just because of the long break. Everybody went on, they all went on vacation. It wasn't like they were skating in Cancun or anything. And then they come back and you have to immediately go right back into game mode. And uh, I thought that might have been the case with Burakovsky. Then later on, we got the ESPN report that it was a broken leg somehow. And everybody was like, okay. And I ate my lumps. I said, well, I guess I was wrong. It's a broken leg. Something happened. He somehow broke his leg non-contact. All right. Um, But uh, no, it was, in fact, a soft tissue injury. And I think that this is one of the problems with a prolonged all-star break in the middle of a season is just that if you aren't you know, trying to somehow keep your the same workout routine and keep your body in shape enough to be able to be dropped right back into a season, you know, a week later, this is a risk everybody is going to run. And I'm not saying that Burakovsky did anything wrong by not doing stuff, right? It's just that's the realities that athlete bodies and the teams that have these athletes on their teams have to be thinking about is that you are asking their bodies to do something that, you know, it's the peak of human bodies. You you just can't ask them to do all of that stuff from zero to 60. And so I don't know if maybe the PA, like this is where if the PA was stronger in the NHL, I could see something where it's like they get, there's like a four day thing where everybody has to be mandated back with the team, but they don't start games yet. So everybody can go through practices for a couple days. Everybody gets warmed back up. And then you start going back into games where everybody's back at 100%. I don't know. But I'm actually honestly surprised we don't see this more often, RJ, coming out of the All-Star break. Right. And for the PA, it's one of those things, too, with the players where, you know, you don't want to give up your vacation. Like, you have enough time with the right. All-Star break to go out and have fun, have a good time. And, like, you know, like, okay, what are, the, what are the odds that I'm kind of the one guy that this happens to? And even in, in Burakovsky's situation, like, the original plan was that he was supposed to be back much sooner. And Francis did elaborate that on that a little bit. He said that the original timeline had him back, you know, a week after the trade deadline. And yeah. so he was going to be fine. And then he suffered a setback. And then again, he was tracking pretty well to come back for the playoffs or toward the end of the season. And then he said he, he was going so well. He had a 45-minute skate. He looked really good. He was working out there. And then he, he said he reached down to grab something and another setback. And then at that point, they decided, okay, you know, we need to take a closer look and, and have a surgery. I was going to say, that's the other thing was it made a lot of sense when we heard that it was a groin because, um, uh, you know, usually it's a goalie injury, RJ. But in the in all our years following the NHL, whenever I've heard somebody had to pull groin, the end result always ends up being surgery. It feels like this exact situation happens. They try to put off the surgery. They try to put off the surgery. They try rehab, try rehab. And all it does is it knocks them out for the rest of that season. And then they end up having off-season surgery. It seems like that happens every single time. 
Yeah, I, I've seen that definitely a few different times, you know, in uh, our, our time just following the sport. And um, unfortunate for Burakovsky, good news is uh, Francis says he's expected to be 100% for the start of next season. And, you know, given the timeline, that certainly makes sense. Oh, and then one more thing on that, too. They, we asked, like, well, if the Kraken had just kind of kept going, when when could he have come back? Right. They said it probably would have been about the Stanley Cup final, would have been the timeline. Okay, that makes, that makes sense. And, you know, again, even then it would have been hopefully that is he would have been able to right like it's one of those yeah. injuries you just never really know with it so um it's an unfortunate one i just think that that's always a time of year where everybody's got to kind of hold their breath those guys coming back and um it's unfortunate the way that it all went with the kraken did anybody ask ron francis if had they known he was not going to be there if ron francis would have treated the trade deadline differently uh no there, there was no question on that. Uh, that would have been a good one, though. Um, yeah, since they, yeah, I don't think they, because because right, he was saying the initial and he could and he could have said, yeah. you know, look, I'm not going to comment on, uh, you know, on, on hypotheticals here. I'm sure he would, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it would have been an interesting question to ask him to see if if he'd give an answer. Um, I guess I'll use the Burakovsky injury to kind of transition into. Um, or the uh, the injuries for the rest of the team, because I thought this yes. was interesting too. Not a whole lot on it, and that is what is so interesting about mm -hmm. it, because they were asked, okay, any other bumps and bruises, injuries, things from the playoffs uh, we're talking about? And I guess actually the question started with, uh, you know, Daniel Sprong said he mentioned to us that, um, you know, had the they got to the conference finals, he would be back for game one. He would have been cleared to play. And France right. was like, oh, is he our, our injury expert now? He's our doctor now. Um, <laughs> Dr. Sprong. <laughs> Dr. Sprawl. It <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> it's got a ring to it. Um, but uh, no other major injuries. Francis, Francis said nothing really there of note. You That's know, good. obviously some bumps and bruises and stuff, but yeah. no surgeries. Uh, beyond Burakovsky so that's good news heading into Definitely. next season and again just seems kind of rare for a team <laughs> who played 14 playoff games yeah and and to do it all you know with basically no time off in between those right because you you're going seven games both times um no it's really cool and and I hope that it's something to do with the the way that they practice and 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 the way that the team operates and the way that they you know treat physical health all the mental health, all of that stuff. Like, I really do hope that this is something that is not a fluke. It's sustainable. And it has to do with just how the team operates and works with these guys, because um, I, I think that that's a big deal. And I do think that a lot of times certain things are preventable. Obviously it's a rough sport. It's a contact sport. Things will always happen. But I think that there's a lot that you can also do to put yourself in the, in a position to, you know, recover from things or not suffer injuries as, as badly uh, if you just put in that work ahead of time. And I think that this is an organization that definitely focuses on those things too. So uh, happy to hear that. And and just happy for yep. those guys. Cause like an off season, you want to be able to enjoy spending time with your family, rest and recover, do the things you want to do. You don't want to have to be like laid up cause you had surgery on your knee or something, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's what Brandon Tan I've talked a lot about yesterday too, is just kind of how much better it is in the off season yeah. when you have a normal off season, you don't have to be recovering from a major injury there. Yeah, definitely. All right. So that covers the top nine forwards and um, you know, their, their places, their roles are all kind of concrete at this point, they'll be back, but I want to talk about some depth forwards that we might see next season guys, a little bit further down the lineup. And mm -hmm. um, we'll start with uh, Shane Wright. Because, uh, yep. you know, he's definitely had a lot of eyes on him, a lot of focus there. Um, and so 
got the question about kind of what do you see as the the next step for Shane Wright? You know, is he going to be on this team and, and what's his role going to be? And Francis said something I, th- I found really interesting. He said, well, that that depends on what Shane does. That depends on the work that he puts in this offseason. And, and, you know, you'd like to you know get him a chance to go make the team and you'd love to see him put in that effort. But at the end of the day, it's on him, which is interesting because a lot of the other depth guys. I think they talked about him in terms of, you know, they're going to make that next step and we'll get to Ty Carche in a little bit. Um, but hearing the difference in how they talked about Carche versus Shane Wright, at this point, I really don't think a roster spot is assured for Shane. Right. And I know a lot of people have been talking about that. Um, I think seeing them do what they did in the playoffs, right, because it does change the expectations. And we just talked about like, oh, the expectation is about the same. The expectation is still a little bit different. And I, and I think that that does hurt Shane Wright, right? The idea of, of this is a team building towards something in the f- future versus we're now in that window, I think changes how you deal with your prospects and, and being able to give them a spot. And just given how well the top nine played for this Kraken squad, there's nowhere for anybody to be joining that, that group at all, regardless of who they are, whether they're Shane Wright, whether they're a Cole Lind who's, you know, ready to be, you know, moved up the chain and and everything. So I I just think that that's, that's part of it. And it's just, it then becomes the, the age old question of, you know, is it better to have a top prospect player, you know, on a fourth line in a very limited role where they're not going to have the opportunities to learn a bunch or have them in the AHL if eligible, and we'll get to that in a moment and everything, where that they can have then just more playing time. And yes, it's not the highest level of competition. They're still going to have growing pains when they do eventually hit the NHL, but they're at least getting to play hockey a substantial amount of time uh, versus having to ride the fourth line and, and ride the bench and all that kind of stuff. So it's going to be an interesting one for them. And you talk about the AHL too, and and Ron mentioned this season kind of with what he saw from Shane this year, um, that the AHL, he said, would have been the ideal place for him. Yeah. And he kind of flat out came out and said that. I mean, we look, we we think that we we agree with that. But I think it's the first time that Francis has kind of, you know, just flat out said that mm-hmm. that's where you would ideally be. But unfortunately, the rules, you know, prevent that. Uh, and it wasn't an option for him, really. Um, and so will it be an option next season? This is something that I was really wondering. And, and look, there's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of nuances to that CHL NHL agreement. It's not public, so we can't take a look at it. Yeah. And so I was eager to hear the answer from Ron Francis about whether Shane Wright is eligible uh, for the AHL next season. And uh, turns out Francis doesn't know. Uh, he said cool. there's still conversations that we need to have about that. Haven't had those conversations yet. Um, so we don't even know whether Shane Wright can uh, just go to Coachella Valley next season or whether he'll need to head back to juniors. So, um, yeah, there, there's a few different things to consider there. I mean, for I, I won't get into it too much, but basically there are a number of, you know, kind of numbers that you can hit in juniors uh, that would allow you to go and, and kind of be exempt and just play in the AHL. One of those is uh, four seasons. Shane Wright has played three seasons, but he had that fourth season in the middle there that was the, the COVID season where kind of the whole league took off. So does that count? Does it not? There's also a games mark from what we hear that he was just just shy of that if they had played just a few more playoff games, he would have hit that and would have been able to play. So um, but then there were other games that I guess, you know, a couple of years ago that like, did they count? Did they not? Yeah. Um, it's complicated. So we'll, we'll get an answer. Hopefully we'll, we'll ask Francis you know, around draft or free agency time, maybe he'll be able to shed some more light on it. But that is going to be an important factor for them next year. Right. And it does bring up the question of, too, like, let's say he's not eligible for the AHL, RJ. 
So it's Windsor Spitfires or Seattle Kraken for Shane Wright. That's that's the worst case scenario for one. We all know that is being stuck in that situation because I I I think it might be them worth burning the year of his contract and having him with the Kraken and go through the growing pains of that rather than sending him back to the CHL where look, he just in 20 games he had 37 points. He had 15 goals, 22 assists. He was he had more assists than games played at the CHL. Sending him back there, he's not going to learn anything. Like there's nothing there's left nothing for more there. for him there. Yeah. yeah, we basically just said the yeah. same thing at the same time. There is nothing more for him at the junior level. I just don't think that's an option mm. uh, for, for Shane Wright. And I think it would really stunt his development. It's it's a shame to see him kind of caught in this position. I mean, but but then again, you don't want to necessarily put Haxtell in the position where he's forced to play Shane for his, the good of his long-term right. development. So this is where, uh, and this is like kind of a question and stuff, and this is something that I had made a note on actually um Three days ago, this is something I made a note on, and we saw the situation in Calgary, RJ, kind of blow up between general manager Brad Trey Living and head coach Daryl Sutter, right? And ultimately, both of them are now gone from the Flames, but it destroyed their relationship. The idea of the Flames and the front office wanting to play younger players and coach Sutter not wanting to play younger players because he wanted the lineups that he felt was the best lineup for them. But the, the, the general manager in the front office wanted the young players to, to be in the lineup so that they could develop for the long-term health of the franchise. And it became a big sticking point. And it turned into a really nasty situation with these young players very much caught in the middle very publicly. And it was very bad. Obviously, that's an outlier situation in the sense that it became so toxic and it literally got to the point where like Trey living is stepping away. Cause he's just like, I can't work with this guy anymore. And they end up, you know, just being without both of them. It was a really messy situation. I don't think in a million years that the working relationship between Dave Haxtall and Ron Francis would ever get to that point. No. But I do wonder about this idea of, do you have any idea RJ? And I know this is speculation, which one of those voices would matter in this situation? Because we could find ourselves in it with Shane Wright, where it's Shane Wright kind of needs to be on the Kraken roster, but, you know, as as would make sense with anybody, this isn't a knock on Shane Wright, it might make more sense to have somebody else, you know, in there instead, a, a Morgan Geeky, right? Like centering the fourth line instead of a Shane Wright. And what does the team do? Well, if this season's any indication, I would say probably Dave Haxtell. And you saw Shane Wright kept being scratched for for stretches this season. Mm -hmm. um, and you saw, uh, you know, him have the autonomy too, with like Ellie Tolvanen coming in and making sure that he is uh, not getting into games until Haxtell feels he's absolutely ready. And he wasn't willing to kind of sacrifice, uh, you know, the team's short-term performance for the long-term development. And um, I, I just don't know that Francis would ever go in and kind of overrule him there just given what that would do to the relationship. And it's tough because I, I think Francis, you know, he kind of sets the tone from the top of the organization. I think yeah. he would have the power to do that. I just don't know that he could get himself to pull the trigger knowing that the damage that could do to that relationship. Yeah. And I, I think that that's an appropriate thing, right? Like you hire the coach to coach. Yep. Right? And one of, there's some boundaries you just, right. you don't cross. Yeah. And one of the jobs of the coach is to set the lineup. 
And so I do yeah. I think that there needs to be communication? Do I think that there needs to be planning when it comes to calling up young players with the understanding of them coming into a lineup and stuff? Ideally, yes. I, again, we're talking about a very unique situation here with Shane Wright where you might be forced into this weird ground where you're having to have him there even though you might not think that it's the best place for him at the moment so it's going to be an interesting one but the bottom line is as long as everyone's on the same page as long as ron francis dave haxtall and shane are on the same page everything should be okay i think it could be rj one of those situations where look he's on the kraken roster he it's same similar thing to earlier this year he's a scratch and then if when an injury inevitably kind of happens or somebody's not playing well or whatever, then you can start working him in. I do think that I wonder, thinking back to early in the year, RJ, how much of it was just Shane's hesitancy towards certain things, towards playing physical, towards staying out longer on certain shifts. I do wonder if he didn't have some of that hesitancy as part of his game, if Haxtell would have been a little bit more committed to playing with him, given how we've seen him commit to guys like Ty Cartier in a first-line role just because Cartier's going out there with some hunger and he's playing physical and he's bringing that that level out there. Right, he's got that decisiveness. He's got that uh, confidence. And I think that's something that yes. Dave Haxtell is looking for. I think we can use that to transition here into to Ty Cartier and uh, how well he played this playoffs. And um, you know, Haxtell, I, every single time, you ask Dave Haxtell about Ty Karchi, and he's gotten a lot of questions about mm -hmm. him. He just raves about the kid. Totally. Absolutely loves him, loves how he plays. And I, I think hearing from Francis, hearing from Haxtell today too, um, I, I am more and more confident that Ty Karchi is going to have a spot on this team at the start of next season. Dave Haxtell just loves him. And, and I understand why. I mean, watching yeah. him in the playoffs, you see exactly why, the, the growth and the determination there. And Francis used him as an example of, of someone who they brought in in kind of a, a different, maybe unorthodox way, you know, as a um, – you know, as an undrafted UFA out of juniors, as someone where you're able to accumulate talent in different ways that, op, you know, options that maybe, I guess every team kind of has the option to do that. But like after an expansion draft, that's how you build a prospect pool. Yeah. And Francis seemed really proud of that acquisition and how it's all worked out. Um, and Haxtell had good things to say too about Cartier and the development he made in Coachella Valley and yeah. working his way from a, a, basically a fourth liner there at the start of the season to being a top line player and then being able to come in and have that same role uh, in Seattle. And, and so I just, they, they were raving about him <laughs> whenever asked. Yeah. So I'm I'm pretty confident that Karche actually, you know, assuming he doesn't just drop the ball in training camp, I think he's going to have a spot on this roster. I do too. And I, I for the same reasons, right? Hearing him talk, Dave Haxwell talk about him at, before morning skate of game five against Dallas. Being there in the room and just seeing the way his eyes lit up talking about him and, and the stuff that he does and the stuff that he brings to that line. And this was with McCann returning. And, and it was like it wasn't even a question in his mind that he would return Jared McCann to that top line to play alongside Everly and, and Beneers. No, like that was Ty Cartier's spot. And that's when I, I was just like, all right, so Cartier's here next year. Like a coach doesn't talk like that about a player, you know, very often. Coaches just don't. And so when they do, you really you really take it in and you listen. So it's going to be an interesting one because that, you know, that's another spot gone, RJ, right? You assume a Ber Berkey comes back healthy. That, that takes up a spot. Ty Cartier comes in. That takes up a spot. There's a lot of spots getting taken up, RJ. There's one spot left. Yeah. And there's... You have you have the top names. nine from, from this playoffs, you know, assuming you put kind of McCann back with Beneers and Everly like he was. You've got the top nine. And then you've got Brandon Tanev and you've got Ty Cartier. And Tanev's a lock for the roster. And, and Cartier, we think, is going to make it. That just leaves one roster spot as a right. forward. 
And and as far as I'm concerned, we're looking at names like Sprong, Donato, and Geeky for that one spot. Yeah, and so you've got those guys. Francis really, you know, again, given how big a decision that is to make for him, he was played his cards very close to the vest, wouldn't talk at all kind of about those three specifically, uh, aside from the Dr. Sprong comment. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it will be interesting to see, you know, who that spot goes to. And I mean, if you're Shane Wright, you're looking, oh, man, there's one spot. There's one spot yeah. for me. And uh, it's going to be an uphill battle. You know, injuries change everything and they, they always happen. But um, it'll be interesting to see kind of which way they go and if they do anything at all. And if you want to make a, tr a trade or, or some kind of roster move signing for a top six forward, then there goes that spot. It just bumps everybody down one. So you only have... A limited amount of room and so i think we can kind of use that to to segue into overall where the team is at what their off season's looking like what we would do mm -hmm. and uh, i want to start that off um by talking about the answer that i got to the the number one question i wanted to ask to francis today because i was just really interested from a roster construction perspective this team as we've talked about all through the playoffs and all through the season, they are just built differently mm -hmm. than most teams. The expansion draft allows you to have a structure where you have a bunch of, you know, five and a half million dollar guys. You don't have any huge contracts on the books and you have depth that really no other team can match because there's this natural uh, kind of gravity almost towards the, I know some people call it kind of the stars and scrubs, uh, type of build, but where you have your star players and not a whole lot of money left over for depth. And so I asked Ron Francis, is that something that you, this, this structure, something that you'd want to continue, or is it even possible to keep having a team built like this, just given the realities of the league and guys needing to get paid. And, um, you know, he did scoff at the answer a little bit like, well, yeah, look, we'd love to just keep paying nobody more than five and a half mil. Yeah. But I, I thought his answer after that, it gave me the answer that I, you know, the clarity that I wanted on that, where he said, no, it's going to happen to us. It, like it happens to everybody. It's going to happen to us. We're going to have more of a traditional build uh, going forward. And I, I like this little comment too. He said, well, you know, let's enjoy this while we can. Right. You know, enjoy being able to be built that way because this is a product of the expansion draft process. So um, I thought that was really interesting that he he does kind of view it as an advantage. And we, we saw that other teams had trouble dealing with it, mm -hmm. but he really he realizes that it's not a sustainable advantage. Right. And um, I mean, I could go on a whole you know tangent about like, oh, well, should GMs try this? Should they make these bold moves like a trade, you know, trade events done so you don't have to pay them and and not bring in any kind of, you know, just trade them for assets. So you can go and get more five million type guys. I don't know. It, it'd be very difficult, something that hasn't been tried at all before. Um, but I, I, I do wonder it's more of a, a, you know, middle of the off season type of thing to think about. But I just thought it was interesting. No, it's it is interesting, and it look it has the obvious advantage of you having insane depth, right? Like just all the stuff that we've been talking about. The one disadvantage it has is that you don't have that star player that you can lean on if you need to, and I think that that was you know maybe the one thing that that ended up being a problem for the Kraken in certain games through that postseason run was you didn't have a Nathan McKinnon or a Miko Rantanen or a Rupe Hintz that, you know, was just going to score a goal a game if you needed them to, because that's just who they are. Right. And so it's one of those things of, I don't, you know, I don't know that the perfect roster could ever exist. Um, but I certainly think that this is one of the paths to getting through an 82 game regular season 
right? And being able to be successful through that by having all of this depth, by having people step up on a nightly basis, I think it can win you a playoff round or two because you can have different guys step up at different points in time. Um, but I do think that ultimately there's a reason why rosters end up looking the way that they always do. And I think it's because at the end of the day, star players drive this league both on the ice and off the ice. And at some point we're going to get there. And look, we've already got them, right? Matty Beneers. Like one of the reasons this roster isn't going to stay this way forever is because they're going to be paying Matty Beneers. And I'm okay yeah. with that, right? Like we're all okay with that. That's that's the way it is. And um, so it's it's going to be interesting. But yeah, it's, it's one of those that, you know, take advantage of this while you can. Try to maximize it while you can. I, I just think, again, this is Ron Francis. I mean, he's... He's not saying anything that would make me freak out and go like, what? No, <laughs> this seems wrong, maybe. <laughs> no, he, he seemed uh, very even keel, very level headed and, and didn't seem like he was, you know, going to going to do anything crazy this offseason. I'll say that much. I uh, seem kind of happy with where the team is at, where they're progressing. And, you know, he did say we've got cap space. We've got draft picks to work with. Yep. We can do basically anything. They've got a lot of options on the table. Um, and, and if they see something good, they're going to do it like any GM would say. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know that he's uh, going to do anything huge. He did say, look, it's so early in the offseason. I haven't even had the chance to call the other teams and see what's out there yet. Yeah. Um, so he doesn't even know what's out there. Um, but, uh, I guess we'll, we'll find out, but as long as we kind of know that, um, th there's not a whole lot more we can say on that, but we can say what we would do yes. and kind of what our approach is and, and our thoughts on that. Um, and I'm interested to kind of share some ideas here with you, Dylan, Go for if it. you're Ron Francis going into the off season, you, you've got the your for basically your your forward situation kind of figured out you know there yeah you can still add i think given where the depth forward's at basically you either add a top line guy or, or you don't yeah or you, you add nothing forward wise Agreed. um and then on d you've got the big decision to make about vince dunn yep. what do you pay him what's your line uh, that you don't want to cross you don't have a whole lot of leverage there but uh you know d do you take a hard line do you think about trading him i know you have an opinion on that We've let the people wait long enough. Uh, Dylan, what would you do uh, in the Vince Dunn situation? So I would, the most I would pay him is seven and a half. Just, yep. I'm just going to be honest on that because the bottom line is I don't think he's as good as all of those other guys that I named earlier. I don't think that he's as good as a uh, Rowenski and McAvoy and Adam Fox, a Seth Jones, Darnell Nurse, like uh, Kale McCarr, Miro Haskinen. We would have seen it in the postseason. He he would have been our Miro Heiskanen, who we could have put out there for thirty minutes, and he could have just taken care of things. He could have moved the puck out of the out of the defensive zone, could have you know handled things offensively, uh, helped us score goals. And the bottom line is, he he's not good on the power play, right? We were basically asking for him to be replaced on the second unit power play. I don't think you can commit to a more offensively driven defenseman unless they can quarterback your power play one. And the fact that they had to go out specifically and bring in a Justin Schultz to quarterback their power play one, and then we still just didn't see any growth from Vince Dunn. And look, not all of this is on Vince Dunn. The power play was atrocious, and I think that that's a coaching issue. I think that's something that they need to look at there. They either need to completely rehaul what systems they're even trying to run, or they need to maybe replace the coach in charge of it. But I, I think that Vince Dunn didn't really inspire any confidence on the power play. He always seemed too shy to shoot the puck on the power play. I think that's a really big problem. If you're going to be a power play quarterback, you have to establish yourself as a threat 
from the blue line, and I don't think Vince Dunn did a very good job of doing that on the power play. Five on five, he put up a ton of points, but I just... I don't know, RJ. I'm worried that this was just a contract year, you know, flash in the pan. We don't normally... I, I looked, I tried, because people were asking on Discord about a month ago, and I tried finding anyone else who's had the step up in production at the age of 26 that Vince Dunn had had this year. And bottom line is nobody has ever done that before. There is no precedent for this. It's possible that he is now just this guy and he is going to be a 60 point defenseman from here on out and everything is fine. But just based on previous experience, RJ, when we see guys that they just so happen in the year right before they're going to go and get their big payday, they jump up. We tend not to see them repeat that performance all that often. So for me, my big thing is I don't think we can commit to him too much long term. So I would explore trade options with him because I think you can always find a team willing to take on a, a, a defenseman at that age who is coming off a year like this who would be more comfortable spending maybe eight a year on a guy like Vince Dunn than I would. And one of the, the things that came to my mind, RJ, when looking at the larger NHL go. landscape was the Toronto Maple Leafs have to make tough decisions with what they're doing with their core four. John Tavares isn't going anywhere. He's got no movement clause. Austin Matthews, you'd be insane to move. I think Willie Nylander is definitely going to be somebody who's going to potentially be on the move. Mitch Marner is somebody that <laughs> might be going out. And and there's a lot of talk, and I think that he might be the one that they can potentially move just because of how much he costs. And I think that, you know, look, they need some help on the blue line. I think if Vince Dunn could go there, be under a Morgan Riley, it would be kind of the perfect spot for a Vince Dunn. Um, and I just think that, you know, Mitch Marner, he comes to the Kraken, RJ, gives you that first line star. This is a hundred point player. This is a guy who can score on the power play. You just have him run the power play. The power play is instantly two percentage points better just from him existing. No matter how bad the plan is, Mitch Marner will make it better. Um, I don't know. I, I would be, I would call up, uh, Kyle Dubas for the last week that he's there. <laughs> and I would say, Hey, <laughs> You wanna you wanna do something crazy on your way out of town? Let's let's do something here. Let's and I would work out a Vince Dunn for Mitch Marner trade. That'd be a, a heck of a legacy move there for for Kyle Dubas. And of course he uh you know only gets to make that trade if he's sticking around. Um and although I do think if he's sticking around, he's gonna stick with the core four. I don't I don't think he's gonna move any of them. But um but again, there's we don't know if he's yeah. sticking around and there might be another GM and and that new GM might right. wanna look to make a move. Yeah, and look, yeah. if it's me. Marner's the one that I would move. Um, and, you know, Tavares obviously is the one you'd like to move the yeah, most, but given but what the price no of that is going to be, that's off the table. And, and the no, no move clause. clause. He won't do it. Yeah. yeah. So Marner would kind of be the one. And I mean, it's. Selkie it's, votes, RJ. He plays he defense. Get Sel yeah, I'm sure he will get Selkie votes uh, this year. Was he one of the. Are they have, have they announced the finalists? I think they announced the finalists. He might have been a finalist, actually. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I just say Mitch Marner gets a bad rap. I'm, I just truly believe that. But the bottom line is, whether it's Mitch Marner or somebody else, if I'm the Kraken, I actually I explore. This is your opportunity to bring in a high level superstar like forward, and and this is your way of doing that would be to move Vince Dunn, and I think that that would be an upgrade for the team as a whole. I think you can plug that hole defensively. Like, yes, you're not going to have the insane offensive blue liner that you are maybe used to this year. But even still, 
you know, again, Vince Dunn, he wasn't helping your power play. It wasn't like he could quarterback that. Like, there's still limitations to his game. I think that, you know, you then keep a Jacob Magna, you bring up a Riker Evans, and probably after a year in the NHL, Riker Evans, he could be doing a lot of those same things. But you're not going to be paying him eight plus a year. And so if I'm the Kraken, I really take this as an opportunity to look around and see if you can isolate, you know, like Patrick Laine a few years ago, a, a really good top end forward who is in a situation where it's just not working with their team and see if you can trade a, a valuable asset in a Vince Dunn um, for them. So Marner, he is making top end money. I mean, that that is definitely a you know, one of the issues with it at, at 10.9, uh, you know, almost 11 yeah, like, million. Look, the Mitch Marner thing, like it's really unrealistic that Marner is the guy, but it's the idea uh -huh. of the Marner where it's like you go out okay. and you grab that high end. Yes, they make money, all that stuff. You're going to have to pay Vince Dunn if you keep him anyway. I think you're better off with the forward for this group to stick on Maddie's wing, all of that stuff. than you are paying Vince Dunn that money. Right. And I, again, I will say I'm with you. I wouldn't go higher than 7.5. Uh, unfortunately, that means you, you might not get a ton. I mean, it's right. Um, yeah, I, I just I, eight, eight times eight makes me or, you know, whatever times eight makes me really uncomfortable. Right. Um, I, I just I don't know. I, and I, I could be with you on a trade. I don't like Marner specifically because of how high that cap hit is because he's a yeah, winger and because that might be your big ad. Okay. That's clickbait. I, it's, like, it, it's engagement. But get, we've... get listens to the podcast yeah, yeah. or we'll just name it, you know, crack and trade for Mitch Marner, question mark. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I see I see what you're doing there. But um, yeah, I, I think exploring a trade on paper is might be the smart thing to do. I just, I don't think Ron Francis it just does not fit with his character at all. Uh, he, to the message that that's going to send, not just to the locker room, but to the league and everyone that you have a player that works really hard in the off season, that does everything that you could possibly ask of him, um, you know, like in working to, to better himself and get to that next level and better version of himself and embraces, you know, that, that team and his role on the team that you've given him. And then once it's time for him to be rewarded for that, he gets shipped out the door. I just, I don't think Ron Francis would be comfortable with the message that sends. And I worry what that would do to locker room chemistry. I, I do. It just, I, I know you can't be too sentimental in mm -hmm. this league and, and, you know, you get into run to real problems doing that. But man, just thinking of the effect that has on, on an Adam Larson, on the decor as a whole, on the team as a whole, really. Um, I, I worry about what that does to the locker room. What if you immediately then sign Maddie to a big extension? Well, maybe, I mean, if you, if you can do it <laughs> kind of right away, because you can, you know, maybe there's a, a, a different message that gets sent there. I'm just saying um, it's, it's one thing, like if they're negotiating and they're just far apart. Well, yeah, that's what? if he's, like, if that's... he's asking for, yeah, yeah. If he's asking for eight and a half, nine you know, in that range, then, then I think you, you kind of, he forces your hand there and you have to explore trade options. Then of course his value goes down because teams, any team acquiring him knows what he's asking. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, then you probably get less of a return, but 
Right. Um, but realistically, that's the situation that I'm talking about, right? Like, I'm not saying, like, you know, you're trading him tomorrow to get ahead of that issue, right? Like, right. It's, it, it would be one in which, you know, look, he's going to want more, as he should. This is his chance to get paid. I'm not faulting Vince Dunn in the slightest. It's just I personally have concerns over what his actual ceiling is, how consistently he can play to it, all of that stuff. I think those are legitimate concerns. And I think that given what the market for someone in his position is and what he should reasonably expect, like it's not, again, it's not crazy for him to ask for these numbers. I don't know that I would feel as comfortable paying him as I would have for those other guys. And so I just think if you're the Kraken and he wants that, I think you, you know, if you can't talk him down, you got to be open to something like that. And I think, yes, it would be rough on everybody on the team. But again, at the same time, it's better than if he's just a holdout. Yeah, that, that's. I mean, that. Yeah, that's true. You don't want this thing. Like, you if know, you just making play, its way if you into play, training camp, right? If you if you turn into a Lou Lamarillo situation where it's like you're just gonna not budge on your number and then you just stop talking to him because it's like, well, if you're <laughs> yeah. not budging, then I'm not even answering the phone. I'm not even gonna talk to you until like after training camp, and you can just sit at home on the couch, right? Like we've seen GMs do that stuff in the past, so. I get it. I just think that it's going to be it's going to be a tough one, but I think that it's something that Kraken fans should at least be prepared for. I, I'm not even saying open to, but it's I think that it it might be more of a realistic possibility than a lot of us considered as the season was going on. Because I think that yeah. it might be the thing that maybe makes the most sense for everybody involved. Yeah, I again, I'm I see where you're coming from. I, I'm I'm with you, and I worry about those big contracts, man. Like you look at how those have aged. You know, the, the Darnell Nurse, Seth Seth Jones, and I think you hit it on that 7.5 number. And I think of Morgan Riley, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the the comp that I see. And and the Riley contract, I think, is is tolerable for the Leafs. I think that's kind of where that deal is at. It's tolerable. It it works. It's fine. And I think that's kind of where you're okay with you know with the Vince Dunn and the Kraken uh, is at that 7.5 number. I, I mean, Dylan, I, I know what you think as far as what they should do. And I, again, I, in a lot of ways, I agree with you. What do you think will end up happening if you had to kind of, kind of bet on an outcome? He signs for eight, probably eight times eight. I, I was about to say the exact same thing. I goes eight. I think it goes eight times eight. And you know what? That sounds exactly what Ron Francis said, a deal where the player probably isn't happy. Because, you know, at that market, you could probably you think you could get more. And the team certainly isn't happy with that eight times eight. And I think they're a little bit worried. And so that's kind of where I see it ending up to. Yeah. And I think that's the most likely case scenario. I just think that, yeah, I worry about that one. And I know I'm not making many friends by talking like this. I know that. I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, but uh, it's, it's my honest view on it. And it's it, those are the real concerns that I have for him. Uh, and about him and it's entirely possible that I'm way off and that he is going to repeat this but like even Morgan Riley right like he much longer track record right now there's Mm -hmm. like injury concerns and stuff in there too and stuff but like it was a longer track record but after the postseason run that Vince Dunn had where we saw those mental mistakes come back in that you know he had done a really good job of cleaning up all regular season but they came back for the postseason they're still in there the, the the power play one is a big problem for me, RJ. Like, I just don't know that you can commit to that kind of money for a guy if you can't trust him with your power play. Like, that's what he's yeah, there and, for. 
Yeah, and my my personal kind of philosophy on this roster construction wise too is I, I think when you're building a decor, you should be willing to commit top money to a a, a true number one defenseman who you, yep. you know is that. We're talking, I mean, we saw a couple of them in the play, Miro Haskin, and we're talking Kale McCarr. Uh, you know, we're we're talking an Aaron Eckblad for Florida. You know, we're we're talking those guys. And um I, I think you Brent yeah, Brent Burns, you know, certainly, you know, through his prime, you you commit that kind of money to those guys and you don't think twice about it. Yep. Um, but then beyond that, I think you can have one of those guys yep. and, and you better be careful with who you think it is. Cause you know, you've got a problem if you've got a, a Darnell nurse or a Seth Jones locked in on that deal. And all of a sudden, I mean, you look at how Darnell nurse did in that Vegas series. Like if yeah. you misidentify your number one D man, you're in a real, real tough spot. And so beyond that, I think you want to go with then guys in that mid range, you know, like contracts we're looking at, like an Alexiak, Larson, Schultz, all the way down. You can kind of do the the four and a half to to two and a half million dollar contract. Susie is on that too. Um, I think that's kind of how you want to build it. And so, you know, is Vince Dunn that guy? I, I don't know that I've seen enough. Right, and that's that's where I'm at. But um, you know, Ron Francis is going to make the decision that he makes. Yep. Um, so let's He's smarter I mean, than us. Like I, I will, I'll be able to admit that. <laughs> oh, for sure. And, and you know, hearing him speak today, uh, only confirm that, you know, in my mind <laughs> yet again, that he is smarter than us. So, um, definitely can say that confidently. Um, uh, just on to, I guess the, the other decisions to be made kind of on, on the UFAs, the RFA guys, we can probably knock this one out real quick. Carson Susie, he, he's gone. I think, um, yeah. I, I'm sorry that I, I like him. That Me money too. could be spent better elsewhere, given where the blue line is at. And if you bring him back, you're blocking a Riker Evans potentially, uh, you know, from from having a spot there. Well, and we, you, I mean, you just mentioned it, right? Like he's in line to get one of those four plus million dollar contracts. He deserves it. It's what the market is. We talked about it yesterday. N no problems with him going and getting that. Like go and get that. It's just it doesn't make sense for Seattle. Yep, exactly. Just doesn't make it's, sense. It's that here. simple. <laughs> yep. Sorry. <laughs> um, and then uh, with the forwards, you've got that depth situation. Look, like we said, we got, you got one hold spot. Hold on, hold on, hold on. And Will Borgen. Huh? What do you think the Borgen Oh, Will Borgen. Yeah, sorry, like? the RFA. Because yeah. sorry, it was almost a foregone conclusion in my mind that you're bringing him back. Right, you're bringing him back. But what do you think that number looks like? Because this is a thing, right? He's 26. He's a UFA next year. So any deal longer than one year, you're having to buy up UFA years for a defenseman. So it's going to cost money. It would not surprise me, RJ, if that 275 that's coming off the books from Carson Soucy just goes right back on the books for Will Borgen. You know, I, I could see that, although I think it'll end up working out a little bit cheaper just because should, it only yes. has the one the one season of, yes. of experience. And you know what? I wouldn't mind even going kind of three years term. I think that's this is one of those say. that could look like a bargain. Um yeah. Yeah, like a bargain, like a bargain. <laughs> yes. On on this one, I just I think those are the kind of deals that that a lot of successful teams, like cup caliber teams, have in in their you know kind of bottom four defense core. Yeah, give the security of term to to get a little bit of a cheaper you know AAV. Yeah, agree. Yep. So that that's where I would go on that one. All right, now we can move on to the forwards, and like Kale I mentioned, Florida. there's kind of that. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Go All on. right. What, what's, no, no, no. <laughs> what do you have to say on Kale Flurry? Um, His hair got but, long. Uh, that's what I have to say. Yep. The kale salad, as uh, as our friend Darren pointed out. Um, so with the forwards, and this is going to be another tough decision. You've got Geeky, Donato, and Sprong. All their contracts are up. You kind of have one spot, if that, to bring yeah. someone back. 
Um, I mean, how are you approaching this whole thing? What well, we should mention, Donato is a UFA. He can yep. sign anywhere. He's, he's free to go anywhere. Morgan Geeky and Daniel Sprong are restricted free agents so that the Kraken do have their rights. But Geeky and Sprong both have arbitration rights. And that's going to be yes. huge, especially in Daniel Sprong's case, yes. where they can elect for arbitration and then, you know, they can get whatever's awarded to them. And, and um, you know, if it's under a certain amount, the Kraken can't walk away. So I, I think um, with Daniel Sprong, certainly you're looking to avoid that arbitration hearing. I don't think he'll be qualified. And so I think he'll just go to be an unrestricted free agent as well. Geeky, it's a little bit more complicated of a situation. I don't know that you're scared of, it, of you know, the potential number right. he could get in arbitration, but you're probably going to reach a deal there if you want to. How would you approach all of this? By first uh, answering your question with a question of my own. Okay. All right. And I'm going somewhere with this. Did anybody ask Ron Francis about Coachella Valley, the success they're having there, and some of the players that are, you know, doing really well there? Like, I don't know, a Colin specifically. So they did ask him about that, yes. And he talked about the success that that team has had. And of course, you know, praised Bilesma, praised all the players and, yeah. and praised Cartier again. Yeah. Cartier was kind of the one that really stood out. And that's where I'm like, okay, they love this guy. Yeah. Um, he, I don't think he mentioned Colin. Um, you know, didn't really talk about some of those other guys looking to make the jump. And the way that he steered that answer was to go into talking about guys who will make that jump to Coachella Valley next year, the Wintertons, right. the Ottavinans, uh, guys like that. Um, so I think that's kind of more the direction he took it. He didn't really give any, you know, huge vote of confidence to the guys that would be moving up from Coachella Valley. Right. Cause Cole Lind is also an RFA with arbitration rights. Now not playing in the NHL means arbitration rights basically don't matter because you know that well, it doesn't help you what you did in the ahl when it comes to getting an nhl contract um but i think that that's another one that is not getting talked about right now but it's you know look he's out there being one of their leading scorers on this playoff run it's somebody that we all loved when he was with the kraken beforehand and i just think that he belongs in this conversation too because you know, as much as we talk about the one roster spot available, well, there's really more than that because you're going to have scratches, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not like that's true. Like it's only one playing roster spot that we have left, and then two it. probably scratch forwards that are exactly. scratches. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that you know, just you know, to round out what the whole picture looks like, that's that's really what yeah. it is here. Um, Daniel Sprong is gone. There's no way he's coming back. I wouldn't bring him back. I don't think that he can totally repeat what he did or that's the best, absolute best case scenario, but he's going to want money. He does, you know, it, this is his chance to cash in. You know what I mean? For the first time, his whole NHL career, he's going to cash in. Don't be the team that pays him. That's my standpoint on that. And I don't think the Kraken will be. So I think you can just immediately kind of delete him from the equation. I think Ryan, I agree with you there. Yeah, completely. Ryan Donato. I love Ryan Donato. I think he would probably want to stay here, but I think it's tough. I want him so bad, RJ. I want him to be on this team. I know, but I just don't know that it works. I just don't know that uh, it works. I, I don't. I don't know that it does either. And he showed his versatility too. Even if that one spot of regular players is a center, he, he showed that he can do yeah. a lot of different things. Um, I, he did everything that you could possibly ask of him. I think, except for yeah. I guess score a goal in the playoffs. But man, he did enough to earn one. That's for I sure. Know. It, it's just what that would mean to to other players kind of coming in that you know the the spots that he might be blocking or, or taking away from and also i mean donato you look he's the one ufa there 
He yes. can choose to go wherever he wants. Right. And I think after another positive showing with the Kraken, I think you're going to have teams that are interested in, in giving him more of a, a solid role than what he'd have here. I right. think you had that last season too, because he wasn't qualified. He was a UFA. He could go anywhere. And from the reports that I heard, he took less money to come back to Seattle because he kind of believed in what the team was building there and, and, and loved it here so much. And, um, I mean, turns out, you know, he was kind of right about the team yes. being better and, and wanting to be a part of it. I, I just don't know that for him in his career where he's at right now, it makes a whole lot of sense. Like if I'm his agent, I might be just advising him, right. Hey Ryan, you, I, I know you love it here, but you, you might want to go somewhere else for the good Again, of your career. Yeah. Or uh, certainly if it's, you know, the Kraken can only kind of commit to him for a year and, mm -hmm. but someone else is willing to give you a three or four year contract. I think that's something he would have to really consider. And I, again, yeah, I, I would think, not be I don't know if he gets him. four anywhere, but yeah, well, two or three. RJ, there's always some team like, you know, the Calgary Flames that just go, wow, you're a really good depth fourth liner. We just want to lock you up for a long time. You know as well as I do. There are weird teams like that out there. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, so I, I do think that that's going to be something to consider. I will say this. If, if, if you can send Shane Wright to the AHL and he can play with the Firebirds, I think you bring back Ryan Donato. But if mm -hmm. Shane Wright is yep. going to have to be on your roster, I don't think there's room for Ryan Donato. And I, I literally think it's just that simple. It's like that kind of one-for-one -one equivalency. It just comes right down to that, huh? Yeah. For me, I think it probably does. Yeah. And then lastly, Morgan Geeky. Yeah, I think you have to keep him around. Here's the thing. I think you could maybe try to trade a Morgan Geeky. I think he would have trade value. I think you only do that if, RJ... You look at maybe a Vince Dunn trade, and instead of like a high-scoring winger, you look at a face-off center, right? Mm -hmm. Or you prioritize trying to go out and and sign a Ryan O'Reilly in free agency, right? Somebody who's going to bump everyone down the lineup exactly. one one step, and especially if it's a center, that yep. just means less room for Morgan Geeky, right? And I know again, same thing. He went and he played on the wing, and he did it at the most difficult point point of the year, and everything was great, but. Really, Morgan Geeky, the number one thing that I look at with him on this team is he's their most valuable face-off man. And so if you're going to be if you're going to be bringing in someone else who can do that job, he becomes then expendable. But if you aren't, Morgan Geeky has to be on this team because he needs to be there to take face-offs for you. Yep. So I think I think because it's less likely that they bring in someone who is exactly tailored to that role than maybe yes. that they don't. I think it's more likely that Morgan Geeky comes back yeah. And, and yeah, I would do that. Um, and especially just with the, with the salary, I know it's not a ton of money, but with Geeky at 1.4 this right. past season, Donato at 1.2, like you're probably looking at a ticket around there or a little bit higher yeah. uh, for either of those two guys. I just, I think you can't afford them both. Right. And uh, then there's another guy that we haven't mentioned who's a UFA and that's John Hayden who looked fantastic mm. in the limited playing time that he was getting. I could see a world, RJ, in which they figure out that they can, in fact, send Shane Wright to the AHL or they get an exceptional status to do something like that. I could see Morgan Geeky getting that last playing spot we were talking about with Ty Cartier up in the lineup and everything. And then I could see a Ryan Donato staying around and a John Hayden, and those are your two scratches. I, I could see that. And, and Hayden, especially too, he's a great guy to have there as kind of an optional 13th, yeah. 14th forward, um, you know, who can provide that bit of grit when you need him and, and also has a little bit of skill as well. Um, I, I'd love to see John Hayden come back. Me too. Uh, and I, I hope he will. I think he had a good time here. I think he enjoyed everything. Injury was unfortunate, but I, I think the organization had plans for him. Right. And so I think that's your ideal scenario. And I, and I think with a guy like Cole Lind, 
I think you maybe open him up and you let let him go and find an NHL spot somewhere if you can if he can. Yeah, I I, I think so. I just you got to do the right thing there. If he's not yep. immediately in your plans to have a, a spot where he's going to play, you've got to let him go he's and find it. something because, yeah, yeah. And and you look, you're bringing in guys like Ryan Winterton, all those guys into the Coachella system. Coachella is not going to be lacking for talent. And and the bottom line is Coland has more than earned it. It's kind of like the Joey Decord situation. Like at some point, it's just unfair that these guys are stuck on these teams where they're just stuck behind all this depth. You know, like they they deserve yeah. to have to have their chance to to live their dream. They do it. It's a, it's a good problem for the Kraken to have. Yes, but uh, you have to sort it out. Now, so we talked about the D and we talked about the forwards, but there's another uh, free agent, pending free agent. I think we should talk about as a goalie, um, and. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's, well, he's in that category of players that, you know, m- maybe deserve more opportunity. And I, I guess basically just what would you do overall with the goalie situation? Mm-hmm. It's Joey Decor. Yeah. Because he is he's going to be a UFA. Yeah. He's going to be a group six UFA. And so he's going to be able to go anywhere. And I don't know that he's going to be sticking around for a, a potential backup battle with Chris Drieger. I mean, how do you handle that? Yeah. No, I think then you have to you can't like you. Right. Like if other teams are talking to him, he's UFA. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Unless you're going to overpay to have a really good AHL goalie. But like no one's going to do that. I don't know. No, I, I, I don't think look, so. The bottom line is I. You think he walks? I think he has to. It's again, it's yeah, similar to Cole if you're Williams. him, right? How do you not? Yeah. He belongs it's... in the NHL. He proved that this year. He belongs in the NHL. And he belongs to be in a situation where he can battle to one day maybe be a starter and see if he can be. And the bottom line is with Philip Grubauer, I don't think that that's realistic. And with Chris Drieger, what? Are you going to just stick Chris Drieger in the minors? Can you do that? I mean, I don't know. I mean, well, that's the thing. Do you do you try and, and move Drieger and see what it would cost to get that contract off your books? I don't I don't know. I mean, it, it might be better for it because it, it goes – you know, it's just the one year left that's next year. So maybe it's more palatable for some teams. Maybe you retain half and some team wants to take a bet on him at, at one. No, 1.75. I mean, I, I think there might be teams that might have some interest there. I, I mean, do. at the de- before the deadline, you well, you thought at, at yeah. the full ticket, there might be teams. Yeah, just because, you know, there's always teams that are willing to take chances on goaltenders. But the bottom line is, why wouldn't you just go and sign Joey Decord <laughs> if you're that team? Well, I, I, well, cause, I mean, Trigger's got more of an NHL track record, and I know there's the injury concerns, but yeah, I think it's just for two different types of teams, what you're looking yeah. at. Those are two very different assets, I think. Um, but, I mean, Ron France, he really does have some interesting goalie decisions to make here. It's a tough one. It's a really tough one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's – I don't know. I think with – I think you're, it's probably going to be Grubauer, Drieger. I just – I don't really see a way around that bottom line. Yeah, I think it's kind of back to back to what it was last season, which – feels kind of it'll be interesting it'll it'll give us some uh some throwback yep. vibes there to season one right and you know what again with chris drieger like i talked about yesterday i think you want more of a tandem type situation with Grubauer just to keep the workload you know in a spot where when the playoffs come he's not going to be worn out he's not going to be too much wear and tear on his body and i think chris drieger is a better option for that than maybe a joey decord yeah, I, I could see that. And someone who, you know, has proved that he can, you know, probably be fine for 30 something games, you know, as you might yeah. need him. Um, so, yeah, I guess I, I feel OK 
<laughs> going going into the season with that. Yeah, I mean, look, RJ, it can't be Martin Jones again. We know that's your boy, it's your favorite. <laughs> you always want it. To oh be yeah, Jones. totally. Go go back a year and see what I said about his signing. I will say I, I definitely underestimated him, but um, credit to Martin Jones for uh, for doing as well as he did in that time. Right, but you know, like this year, that's that's the that this year was what you you know have to plan for, which is Philip Grubauer gets hurt and misses a couple months. And so yeah. the whole the whole idea do? of who your backup is is who do you most trust to be able to carry that load for the team? And is it Chris Drieger or is it Joey Decord? And I think Chris Drieger has a more proven track record in being able to do that than Joey does. And I think the team will look at it as such. Right. And here's the other answer. You just pick up Magnus Helberg off waivers yeah. uh, next year when he's there. Because you know he'll and... be there. Mm-hmm. He Bring is. him back. Always in favor of that. That was it's one of the most fun players to to uh, to talk to this season was Magnus Helberg. So bring him back and kind definitely. of close it on that note. Yep, definitely. Oh, interesting, um, interesting stuff, RJ. Interesting stuff. Yeah, it was interesting last couple days. Just kind of getting the the end of year perspective from everyone. A different feel, yeah, for sure, than the end of last year. And it just it felt more optimistic. Go, it feels more optimistic going to the off season this year. That's for sure. Any um talk of things like well, and I guess we wouldn't maybe hear it yet, but like of the coaching staff, right? Because we saw Dave Lowry come in. I didn't know if that's going to be a long term situation or if that was just for this season. It, it sounds like a long term thing. Okay. I mean, uh, Francis and Haxtell both kind of independently mentioned, and the question wasn't directly about Lowry or anything. Just how important it was to have that third guy on the coaching mm -hmm. staff for just division of work purposes and and yeah. all of that. That they realized the first you know, in their inaugural season, there was just kind of too much to do between yeah. the two assistants and it was a problem and that Lowry really helped with that. So that tells me that they're, they would look to keep him on going forward. Um, you know, Jay Leach, I, I was thinking about asking about it, but they're not going to no. tell me, you know, if they're worried about losing him, um, right. you know, that's kind of the only question I had there. Um, but not a whole lot more on the coaching staff. Yeah. Is there anything else, you know, topics wise you can think of that, uh, that maybe I missed? No, I mean, because that's the only other thing that we've really talked about this season was like, obviously, I think we both agree. Dave Lowry, huge addition. I think it's made notice. Yes. It made a noticeable improvement. Uh, Jay Leach, we know, is going to most likely get interviewed somewhere. Like, I just think he will. He was last year. I think his reputation has only been improved upon over the course of this season. What he was able to do with the PK over this playoff run for the Kraken. If I'm a team that has, you know, is looking for a coach, I think that's going to be something. I, I mentioned to somebody earlier today, I thought Calgary could be a situation. It kind of seems mm. like the opposite of Sutter. I feel like we're right in this crossroads where that old guard, Sutter, Gallant, it's my way or the highway kind of guys are maybe on their way out with the, the more modern player being somebody who wants to have a little bit more of a say. And guys like Jay Leach, great communicator, able to work with those younger players, is a little bit younger himself. I think that those are the guys that are going to start finding their ways in, RJ. I think we're finally going to stop seeing the recycling yes. of the same old, same old guys. I think we're going to start seeing more of the people like Jay Leach. So it wouldn't surprise me if maybe a, a team like a Calgary is trying to look for something new there and, and would maybe be interested in somebody like him. Um, and I, I think for him too, it's a matter of when, not if like I said yeah, it last season, absolutely. I'll say it again. Jay Leach will be a head coach in the NHL one day. Yeah. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. And so we'll see what kind of situations and if anybody interviews him, the only other one was, and this is something that we've kind of floated around a little bit is just the idea of, you know, would they maybe make a change 
with either um, transferring responsibilities of the power play away from Paul McFarland or making a change with that position. Again, I, they would have said if they were doing, if the if he was fired, they would have said so today. This was the, this didn't. would be the time. Yes. Yeah. So uh, he's coming back uh, whether they, I don't, I think he'll probably start the season with power play responsibilities. Yeah. Uh, in my experience, teams just, they are really cautious about moving that stuff around. Yes. And it has to be very abundantly clear that it is a disaster before they'll do anything on that front. I think, I don't think it should be that way, I, but that's, and I, I, you, maybe you could make the argument that it's, you know, around that level, but no, I mean, you know, they'd have to be, you know, like, Oh, for 50 or their last 50 or something, you know, it takes that level to get, uh, head coaches to change stuff for their assistants. I think they're way too stubborn. This is not just Hackstall. This is the league as a whole. Steve Spot still has a job. I mean, come on. I know. Uh, that's it's just it's you know what what was the one thing that stayed consistent for this team from last year to this year, RJ? The power play being bad. Yeah. So that's that's why that was the only thing that didn't improve, and it's really the thing that sunk them uh, in the playoffs as well. So that's why I thought maybe we could see something, but, um, you know, look it, I'm not saying that Paul McFarland can't do it. I just think he needs to go back to the drawing board and, you know, off season gives you a lot of time to do that. Yeah, it does. And, and you'll have, you know, maybe some different personnel as well. So, yeah. you know, we'll see if that might be a, a part of it. So, um, and then of course, got a shout out Steve Briere. He was talked about again today, yeah. just, you know, turning around the goaltending, nothing to talk about there. He's no. just been awesome. Yeah, it's almost like Jay Leach too, where it's like I don't want to bring him up because I just don't want to like remind people out there that they exist and then they get taken from the Kraken. Well, the the difference with Briere is like he's already at the top job for what he's doing. Yes. There's no kind of room for advancement, so I, I think they're safer in that regard. Yeah, true, true, true. Um, all right, it's been one. Oh, yeah. yeah, can I can I add one more yeah, thing though? Yeah. Um, just because it was you know. Today was, you know, kind of, it felt like last day of school yeah. vibes for the year. You know, it always does. You go signing around every, everyone's yearbook and all that stuff. But I want to give a shout out uh, to, to Kraken PR yes. for how awesome they've been all season, um, you know, it, right on through, you know, to the end. And I mean, they, they always take such good care of us, whether it's, you know, just their helpfulness in the day to day, whether it's getting you a credential for game seven in Dallas on last yeah. minute notice. Um, really thoughtful details that, that you see from PR all year, um, whether it's, you know, kind of the little like gift baskets at everyone's seats for the first playoff game, mm -hmm. um, you know, whether it's uh, the putting in the on the media Dropbox, a little thing in, in remembrance for Andy. I right. um, they always think about this stuff and, and really they care. They put the work in, they put the effort in. And we as media, we definitely feel the effects of that all the time. So grateful uh, for, for Ben, Lindsay and D uh, for, for doing all that. So I just wanted to, to shout them yeah, out at the definitely. end of this podcast. Absolutely. Well-deserved, well-deserved for sure. We definitely thank them for everything that they've done for us, especially, especially us, RJ, right? Coming in the way that we did with yeah. basically no experience on our end and we're doing like non-traditional media stuff. It's not like we're, you know, the Seattle Times coming in and we're just the new reporter, right? But we were backed by some institution. We're just some little thing. We're putting out a podcast. We're on YouTube. Like they had every reason in the world to, to not kind of, you know, um, respect us or treat us, you know, kind of that same way, but they have the entire time and they've been great. They have. From, it's awesome. From the very beginning. And, and I, not a lot of teams are, are that way. It's, it's not yeah. something you should take for granted. A lot of teams, heck, if you're just any kind of online content at all, they won't yeah. let you in. Um, and so, you know, if that was the case for the Kraken, like you wouldn't have the chance to listen to this podcast. Like it just right. wouldn't exist. And so many other great ones like it. 
Right. Um, you know, like for, whether it's, you know, Sound of Hockey, David Jones Locker, whoever else that, that wants to cover the team, you know, our, our buddy Scott at Cheap Seat Sports, like, um, you know, the, the Kraken kind of being really progressive and forward thinking about that, I think has benefited the the landscape as a whole. And, and we're, we're grateful to them for that. Yeah, definitely. So glad you brought that up. Um, lots of good stuff in this one. Very curious to hear everybody's thoughts. I'm sure I'm going to take plenty of heat for what I said about Vince Dunn. I'm ready for it. Let it's him fine. Have it. It's fine. Um, but I'm also curious just to hear everybody's thoughts on, you know, what you would do with the roster. Do you think Shane Wright's ready? You know, what, what do you do with that last potential player spot? If Ty Cartier is going to be up, you know what I mean? Like, I'm really curious. There's a lot of different ways this can go. And I really want to hear, um, from the wonderful community, kind of everybody's ideas for everything. So really looking forward to reading all that stuff stuff um we'll be back sooner than probably everybody thinks <laughs> so that's yep. the way this goes <laughs> um but uh until then we'll see y'all next time hey everyone before we go we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emerald city hockey especially our terror of the deep patrons absurdly sane alex andrew anonymous ben burnt creme kaylin chris Cody, Connor, Coop, Daryl, Denise, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Elizabeth, Evan, Habak, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Jay, Jane, Jeremy, Jessica, Joni, Joshua, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Light, Lonnie, Mark, Maya, Michelle, Noah, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Sarah, Scott, C.A. Kraken, Sean B., Sean O., Sergey, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Pasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Wendy, Strife, and Zane. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support. 